isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon Wemmers here. Flight 401, ghosts on a plane. <laughs> oh, it'd be more realistic if the go if the plane was full of snakes, wouldn't it? Wemmers here, if you're new here, um, I've never read this before. One of my writers, in this case, Katie, has put me together a script. We're going to get to code it together. That's, that's the name of the channel. You see what we did there? Very clever, right? Big brain. Let's jump in. Imagine this. You're a flight attendant going about your business on a plane. When you open an overhead locker and the face of a deceased colleague is staring back at you. It's pretty creepy, yes? <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> this has got nothing to do with ghosts. This has nothing to do with creepy. This is like, oh my god, someone has been murdered on this plane. One of my colleagues and someone has stuffed him in the overhead locker. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Also, those overhead lockers are not exactly giant. How did they squeeze him in there? <laughs> What's he doing stuffed in there with all the bags and suitcases? Or would you ever open anything ever again? This is a detail that's really stuck with me while reading about Flight 401, and it will probably be at the back of my mind the next time I fly somewhere. But so will most of the details about this case, as anything involving plane crashes is always cause for concern. How the flying lessons are going, by the way, Simon? Oh yeah, I was, I was learning to fly, right? And I took a bunch of lessons, and I took a bunch of theory lessons, and I just realized, like, I've tried to take up other hobbies as well. And I just always end up failing because I'm super busy at work. I'm super busy with my family. I really, I probably do have about 10 to 15 minutes per week of, of time that is not work, that is not family, that is not just tasks because that is the stage of my life. Like I'm in my mid thirties. That's what life is. And uh, don't get me wrong. I like it. I love my family. I like my work. But the idea, the idea of hobbies is somewhat absurd to me right now. So I've been like, I, I recently was like, oh my God, I'd love to take up the, like I used to play piano as a kid. And so I'd love to take up piano again. And then I'm like, no Simon, what are you thinking? <laughs> when do you think you're gonna have time for this, you idiot? <laughs> you have 15 minutes a week, you wanna play piano in those 15 minutes? You clown? No, so I, I, I have not finished my flying lessons. Yes, it's another episode about planes, but this one has a ghostly twist thanks to YouTube user Sir Henry P2 for the suggestion. Let's go. People are, 
<laughs> Maybe I'll have to come up with suggestions in the comments, and I'll just like, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm stealing them, <laughs> but I very rarely credit people <laughs> because I'm like, bro, the logistics of that's really complicated, but that is a good idea. That is a good idea. I don't have to, but it would be nice, and I don't, and I apologize. The frustrating circumstances surrounding the crash of Eastern Airlines Flight 401. I feel like I've flown on Eastern Airlines. Isn't that like, it's it's China's national airline, right? Eastern? I feel like I've been on it. And I remember, <laughs> like, China has this really bizarre policy where you can't, you know, like, you'll be flying. And they're like, sir, can you turn off your phone for takeoff and landing? And you'll be like, yeah, 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 sorry, no problem. And then you put your phone in your pocket. And if you remember, you've turned airplane mode on. But really, do you give a shit? On this f***ing Eastern Airlines, or if it wasn't Eastern Airlines, it was another Chinese airline. It was like an 11-hour flight or whatever. And they were like, so you need to turn off your phone. I'm like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> we're at like cruising altitude. We're like four hours into this flight. And they're like, so no personal electronics during the flight. And I'm like, are you smoking crack? You expect me to watch like the shitty movies that you've got on the, the tiny screen in the back of my seat when I have an iPad with me? Uh, certainly turn it off <laughs> and so they tell me like three times and they get a bit more because i'm just like Fuck you uh because i'm a and also it's a stupid rule and then eventually i just like get the blanket that they provide i put it up over my head like in a little tent and i'm just on my phone uh, on my ipad underneath there because it's a stupid rule it's on airplane mode i'm watching downloaded netflix what is this possibly doing china you. On December the 29th, 1972, an almost brand new, super fancy Lockheed L10111 TriStar. <laughs> Lockheed L10111. Really? Was flying from New York to Miami when a problem with the landing gear caused it to abort a landing approach and circle around the Everglades until the problem was sorted out. After circling for a little while, the plane started descending and eventually crashed into the swamplands. There are 166 people on board Flight 401. Okay, I'm guessing this isn't China Eastern Airlines. What the hell was that airline that I was on then? I really thought it was Eastern. With 101 dying immediately or shortly after due to injuries and 75 people managing to survive, we'll go into the circumstances of the crash as quite frankly, it's pretty interesting, albeit frustrating, and it's clear that this particular crash was definitely avoidable. Aren't all plane crashes somewhat avoidable? avoidable because it's always like oh yeah there was an error in this or pilot error or this and the whole point of plane crash and uh um investigation afterwards is to find what the error was and then make sure it doesn't happen again and plane I've, I've mentioned this book so many times but black box thinking by matthew saeed is an amazing book all about this and how the airline industry basically became came enormously safe because of their air crash investigations and stuff it's so good. Okay, so who do we have in the cockpit for this ill-fated flight? Heading up the crew is Captain Bob Loft. His name was Robert, but I think we'll call him Bob. He was a seasoned pilot, well-known and liked by his colleagues at the airline. Helping him out on the flight were first officer Albert Stockstill, which is a great last name, but it makes me think he must have felt the need to move all the time. Why are you standing here, Stockstill? <laughs> but a bum bum. <laughs> and carrying on the decent name streak was flight engineer Don Repo. Ah yes, the repo man. <laughs> I'm. Sure I don't want to make fun of Katie's jokes. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I'm sure people called him this for the record, but I didn't see it mentioned anywhere. Also hitching a ride to Miami, but officially off duty was technical officer Angelo Donadeo. Between them, these men had over fifty thousand hours of flying time experience, so you'd think the plane would be in good hands. Well, you'll be wrong. <laughs> yeah, what's that movie with Denzel Washington where he's like, he's this seasoned pilot or whatever, and he just, he's just having a nap because he's f***ed up. And then he flies the plane upside down because that's realistic. 
As mentioned a minute ago, the plane they were flying was a new addition to the fleet, a wide-bodied trijet airline. It was advertised as the plane that pampers people. It had more spaced-out seating, a galley below the main level, and even bragged that suits can be hung in center division compartments, which I suppose was more of a concern in the 70s than it is now, with people traveling in their pajamas and whatnot. Yeah, people back in the day, you look at those old photos of the people on, people on planes, and it's like, why are you all in suits, bro? <laughs> Isn't that uncomfortable? And it's like, yeah, because flying was really expensive people got dressed up weird <laughs> anyway it should be noted and it will be right now that even with all of those many thousands of hours clocked by the flight crew this plane had only been introduced in august that year so captain bob loft had less than 300 hours of experience with the lockheed l10111 <laughs> stock still barely had any more and reaper man only had 53 hours of hands-on flying time in the aircraft well this is completely reasonable because it's a brand new aircraft obviously that makes it more dangerous like that 737 max where two planes crashed in a year because there was just some technical problem it's like holy sh boeing <laughs> that's a lot of people who died boeing <laughs> didn't they get some massive settlements as they should because well one they deserve it and two also boeing should be punished for this fuck up while i'm sure that all the previous flying experience would make the transition to a new plane easy this particular model had different autopilot features than earlier planes some of which were confusing enough the pilots had to be instructed to either have the autopilot fully on or just to turn it off so as flight 401 was cruising towards miami the captain lowered the landing gear but the light to show that it was down and locked into position did not illuminate this was not a major worry for captain loft he retracted the gear and lowered it again but still the light didn't come on to be on the safe side the crew informed the control tower that they were having some issues confirming that the nose gear was down so the controller told them to climb back to 2000 feet and circle around coincidentally there was it's like hey bob bob open the window and have a look will you mate is it down coincidentally there was another plane approaching the airport with a similarly reported issue with its landing gear and preparations were being made for an emergency landing so not a huge amount of attention was paid to flight 401 as they flew out of the way and started climbing to 2000 feet don repo decided to check is it repo i guess it's repo but i really want to say repo don repo decided to check out if the problem was actually with the light itself and not the landing gear he tested the hey don have a look out the window <laughs> He tested the control panel lights, and sure enough, the square button that was supposed to light up when the landing gear was locked remained dark. Q Repo then tried to get the light out of the panel and the whole situation bothering the crew enough that Captain Loft told Stockstiller was actually flying the plane at the time but was nearest to the light to put the plane on autopilot and see if he could try to pull the fixture out. During this time, the flight headed away from Miami and towards the Everglades to go into its holding pattern. Eventually, Stockstiller managed to pull the light out of the panel, but no one replaced the bulb or anything, they just tried to jam it back in. There was a trick to it though, which Stockstiller evidently wasn't aware of, as he managed to get it stuck in an incorrect position. During this farcical interlude, I don't know if it's really farcical. Isn't this exactly the sort of thing that you'd. It, there's, there's probably a giant book telling them exactly what to do. It's like, uh, if this fails, try this. If this fails, try that. Da, 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 da. And there's a giant list that they have to go through because that's how flying planes works. Captain Law finally asked Repo to go and actually have a look with his eyes to see if the landing gear was down. How? He's, uh, I guess he could go into the bottom of the plane and have a look and see if. Like it's actually down, right? It's around this time that it's believed the captain accidentally nudged the control column and inadvertently changed the autopilot setting. Repo descended into the belly of the plane through what's known as the hell hole to check if he could see a red line showing that the landing gear was indeed locked. While he was down there, the faffing with the light bulb continued. Loft clearly didn't want to risk damaging the new plane by landing with faulty gear when it could easily be checked if it was locked into place or not. In the transcript from the cockpit voice recorders, there was much swearing about the stupid light bulb, with Loft saying, To hell with this! Go down and see if it's lined up. That's all we care. 
around with that goddamn 27 piece of lice equipment we got on this bastard. Stock still then said, I don't know what the hell is holding that son of a bitch in. Always something we could have made schedule. I get the feeling, like with this, you get this, um, and this might have been brought up in that Matthew Saeed book, where it's like people get locked into thinking about one thing. So like, there's this plane, and there's these three dudes who have 50,000 hours of experience flying planes. And I get the feeling they're all worried about this light and they're all worried about the landing gear. And there is something much more worrying going on, like that autopilot being knocked and them not realizing, or they will... Like, there's crazy things where it's like people will be so busy fixing a light that they won't realize that their plane has literally run out of petrol and is going to fall out of the sky. Uh, petrol. Uh, kerosene. And it's going to fall out of the sky. Which is... It's just this crazy thing that humans do where we just get locked into one thing and then we can't focus on other shit. And there's obviously a lot of things now done to planes to make sure that this doesn't happen. Just after this, a one-second chime sounded, which was to alert the crew that their altitude had changed. No one appears to have heard it, because they're all focused on the light. The autopilot had descended the aircraft by more than 200 feet, 250 feet, past the 2,000 feet setting. And it was still going down. A little after this, Repo pops back up, saying that he couldn't see anything down in the hellhole because it was too dark. Loft turned on the light, and Repo went back to the hatch with off-duty Angelo Donadeo coming to lend a hand. According to Donadeo, Stockstill and Loft were still both trying to pull the light fixture out again, and Stockstill was bracing his other hand on the control column. That doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> At this point, the controller in Miami noticed the Fly 401 was showing as 900 feet of altitude, but apparently it was common for incorrect readings to show for a few sweeps of the radar before they glitched back to the correct ones. So, that's comforting to know. <laughs> oh my god, it's not. That's terrifying. <laughs> it's like, nah, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. It's just an out of no. Now it's disappeared from the radar. I'm sure that's fine. It's just a glitch. It's not coming back. It's fine. <laughs> Sir, I see smoke on the horizon. Oh, God. He contacted the plane to check on it, but didn't ask anything specific. Just said, how are things coming along out there? Before we pile in and criticize him too much, even doing this was apparently above and beyond the call of duty, as they were primarily concerned with the aircraft's location in relation to other aircraft, not how high one plane was firing out in the boondocks. If he had just mentioned their altitude, though, maybe someone would have looked and seen that they were way too low, but no one did. Loft said they were going to turn and make their approach now, and shortly after this, Stockstill finally noticed that their altitude was way off what they thought it was. The last recording from the cockpit went like this. Stockstill. We did something to the altitude. Loft. What? Stock still. We're still at 2,000 feet, right? Loft. Hey, what's happening here? Less than 10 seconds later, the plane crashed into the Everglades at 227 miles per hour. It traveled over a third of a mile before finally coming to rest in a myriad of chunks and pieces. Some people died in the crash, others were drowned in the marsh, and many suffered burns from the jet fuel. Um, what? People survived? People survived this? These, or, or like they survived the initial crash to drown? That's insane. Is that possible? There were also harmful bacteria in the swamps, with some people eventually dying of gas gangrene and others having to have limbs amputated. While there were a couple of people in the vicinity who started to help rescue people, the scene was over 13 kilometers or 8 miles from a road, so large-scale rescue efforts took a bit of time to get there. Incredibly, 75 people survived. That's actually unbelievable. Unfortunately, Loft and Stockstill died at the scene, with Repo dying later in hospital. Angelo Donadeo survived. This is incredible. I kind of thought like a plane just crashing into ground at 227 miles an hour. It's like, that's game over, mates. Like, 
Wow. For the record, the landing gear was in the correct fixed position, and it was just the light bulb that had burned out. It's such a waste that while four people were messing around with a small light fixture, nobody was actually flying the plane. That other plane was also having issues with its nose gear and ended up landing without incident. It was also later found that Captain Bob Loft had an undiagnosed brain tumor that could have given him issues with his vision, but this was apparently not relevant to the crash circumstances, so maybe it hadn't begun to affect him yet. At this time, this was the largest death toll involving a single aircraft in the United States, which obviously made people pretty nervous nervous about this type of plane going forward. Yeah, I'd be pretty nervous getting one of those Boeing 737 Maxes being like, uh, guys, are you sure you fixed it right? I'm sure now it's going to be like one of the safest planes in the sky because it's going to have been torn apart at every level to make sure that nothing happens again because two of them crashed basically inside a year. But still, I'll be a little bit like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Although I'll probably fly on one and not even notice because, I don't know, 737s, you fly on them all the time. It could have been worse, however. The softer, marshy terrain helped absorb some of the plane's landing energy upon impact, and the newer, stronger passenger seats no doubt saved a few lives. Also, there were at least 60 people that didn't show up for the flight for whatever reason, meaning the aircraft was significantly under capacity. 60 people didn't show up. <laughs> Those people, they, they got some final destination shit going on. It's like, <laughs> over the next week, 60 people die in mysterious circumstances at fairgrounds. Ah. And now for the spooky part the spooky part. Here's where the creepy start of the story comes back. After the crash, people, usually other pilots and flight crew, started reporting odd encounters aboard other Lockheed TriStar planes. The vice president of Eastern Airlines was on board a flight from New York when he got chatting to the pilot but realized later that the plane was, in fact, being flown by someone completely different and the pilot he had seen had disappeared. The man he saw had been Captain Bob Loft. Sounds like that dude needs to get checked for a brain tumor as well, doesn't it? On a flight to Mexico City, a flight attendant was startled to see the face of the deceased Don Repo looking at her from the reflection reflection in an oven door. After she gathered some colleagues to confirm what she was seeing was actually there, Repo warned them about a fire on the plane. When they landed, it was found that one of the three engines needed immediate replacement. The plane was flown back for repairs with just a crew on board, but another engine did indeed catch fire, meaning that the pilot had to land with only one working engine, which he managed to do. Then comes the incident of the flight attendant opening an overhead locker and seeing Don Repo's face staring back at her. Oh, okay, so it was just like a ghost or whatever. It wasn't like someone had actually been murdered on the plane and shoved it to uh, a baggage compartment because that would be more insane than some flight attendant being like, oh my god, I saw a ghost! <laughs> um, because ghosts aren't real. Isn't there a movie where someone gets murdered on a plane and they have to solve it or something and there's like a flight, an air marshal or whatever on the plane? I feel like that's, there's probably six movies like that because, you know, the 1980s exist. There are many other stories of people, usually crew, seeing Don Repo or Captain Loft hanging about on other Lockheed Tri-Stars, usually in the galley or near the cockpit. The spectre of Captain Loft was always dressed in his pilot uniform, and he would be sitting or standing, chatting to people before eventually disappearing. Repo would apparently give helpful tips about potential issues with the plane, all of which ended up panning out. This all sounds so real, doesn't it? <laughs> As the sightings went on, it appeared that there was actually a common reason for the ghostly appearances. The Lockheed L-1011 was almost brand new and after the crash, any salvageable components had been recovered from the crash site and fitted into other aircraft. Yeah, so what, those those pieces were inhabited by ghosts? <laughs> Sounds reasonable. These included an oven from Flight 401 Swish Below Deck Galley, and also the elevator between the levels. I don't know why, but it's kind of creepy that they'll take these like parts from a giant plane crash and then just install them into other planes. You'd be like, where's that one? So, oh, this is our new oven. Yeah, that's from that one that crashed and uh, all our colleagues died. Be like, oh god, really? Really, Eastern, you cheapskates? Just get a new oven, please. This is creepy, Eastern. I don't like it. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Eventually, though, Eastern Airlines got wind of all these ghost stories circulating around and decided to put a stop to them. Crew and employees were warned that anyone making reference to the incidents in the fly logs would be subject to disciplinary action. Any previous mentions were either removed from the existing flight logs or the logs were just replaced with blank versions. The tactic was successful up to a point, but it wasn't until the recovered parts were actually removed from the aircraft that the sightings finally stopped. In 1976, however, John G. Fuller published The Ghost of Flight 401, which brought together all of these spooky sightings and accused Eastern Airlines of trying to hush their employees up. I mean, there's a very good reason why they hushed them up, because these sorts of sightings occur because of, like, group... Is it called groupthink? Is that what groupthink is? Where... You know, someone's like, oh my god, I saw a ghost in that house. That house is haunted. And then someone else will be like, oh my god, yeah, I saw it too. And then someone else will go to the house and be like, oh, it's definitely in there. And just because one person said it. And if you try to stop people saying it, then you're not going to have these sightings anymore. Because when we think about ghosts logically, that's what it is. Also, should definitely make sure that there's like not some fumes leaking into those planes. Because they're all happening on the same planes. Maybe just make sure like there's no carbon monoxide going on. There's no weird chemicals. Because... Like, thinking about this logically, does the crew, the pilots, or whoever, the crew of the plane, like, the crew in its totality seem to be the ones seeing stuff. They're the ones spending most of the time on the plane, so I'd think about some environmental toxin, some exposure to something that would cause these hallucinations to occur. Especially if the passengers aren't seeing them, because they're on the planes much less regularly. But I do reckon it's just a group hysteria. Group hysteria, that's what I was looking for. While the airline did consider legal action against Fuller, they ultimately decided not to, fearing that it would just bring more eyes to the whole situation. Ah, well aware of the Streisand effect, are we, Easton? Very nice. In 1978, a movie based on the book was released, also called The Ghost of Flight 401. It's currently 5.8 on IMDb, but it has Kim Bassinger in it, playing someone called Prissy Frazier. So who knows? Maybe it'll be worth a watch. Yeah, that's what I thought about that movie. Um, oh my god, it's so bad. It's the worst. It's like the worst movie I've ever seen. I think it's called Left Behind. And it's with Nick- Nicolas Cage. And he plays like a pilot on a plane. And like a bunch of people are like fucking raptured. It's like super religious. And it's like the only person who could act in that movie was Nicolas Cage. And it was just, it felt like they've got Nicolas Cage in a movie. He's like their big lead star they can put on the cover. And he's actually starring in the movie. Like he has a major part. And everyone else was like people who did quite make it into drama school. Because it was like, what's going on here? <laughs> And I'm sure it was also terrible writing and direction, but it was altogether like, oh my god. And I think it actually does quite well on IMDb because all the religious people are like, it spoke to me as if it was a rapture. Oh my god, it was really bad. So that's the story, whether you believe it or not. If you do believe it though, maybe you'll want to end the video now because we're heading into the decoding bit and it ain't going to be pretty. Put your seat backs into the upright position, stow your tray tables and let's get into it. I think this John G. Fuller guy who wrote the book later, this often happens, we see it in Decoding the Unknown a lot, where there's a spooky story and we're telling it as if it's like, oh yeah, it's definitely real. But it turns out that our primary source is the John G. Fuller book, whoever wrote the book like decades later and embellished a ton of shit and then everyone uses that as their main reference but even though it's kind of just allegedly made up. Decoding the Unknown I think I know how Simon feels about ghosts, but I'm not 100% sure I know how I feel about ghosts. 
Come on, Katie. <laughs> Haven't you seen enough to go to the unknown to be persuaded yet? <laughs> Ghosts are real. And I know no one be persuaded because I just, like, I don't come up with any evidence against ghosts because obviously that's not my thing and like anyone who believes in ghosts is gonna be like oh yeah ghosts simon's wrong and i'll be like you got any evidence of that i don't need evidence i have faith it's like okay well i need more than faith and you don't you know that's that that's how it ends because of course it does i've never seen one but I have felt majorly creeped out lots of times and have been scared to look in mirrors at night in case there's some horrible creature looking back at me. Unless it's just me after I've taken my makeup off. Ha <laughs> ha, the jokes today. <laughs> it was funny. I, I don't know. Like, if I see a horror movie, uh, like, I don't know, Sixth Sense. I remember seeing the Sixth I was a kid when I saw the Sixth Sense and I remember looking into rooms and being like, there's not going to be dead people in there, are there? <laughs> I was afraid of the dead people. And then I saw the uh, the fucking ring, which is like the scariest movie ever. And I was scared of TVs for like ages. Like, don't. don't. I was like sitting in my room and I was like, and my laptop on my desk. Or I was just close that shit. Don't have it open. I was once staying in an old hotel where there was a rocking chair in the dark corner of the room and I had draped a jacket or something on it and part of my brain was convinced there was a figure like a demonic nun sitting in it staring at me. I didn't get up and turn on the lights to check, of course not, I just stayed in bed and kept my eyes closed, too scared to open them in case a scary face would be inches from mine when I did. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe in ghosts or any of that shit but I'll still be like, oh god, the, 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 the demon nun and I'm safe under the covers because of course I am. I recently got a weighted blanket because everyone was talking about how great weighted blankets were. It's a weird experience. It's kind of nice, but also kind of not nice. I get, I'm getting used to it. And I think I'm really sleeping better with this weighted blanket. It's quite a weird experience. Yeah, it's, it's, quite, it's like a seven kilogram blanket because it's supposed to be like 10% of your body weight. And I'm like, that's really heavy and it sits on you and you're kind of like, that's kind of nice. It's a weird experience though, try it. I guess I'm still not totally closed off to the possibility of an actual unexplained encounter. I don't want it to be scary though, maybe just seeing someone disappear through a wall from a safe distance would be enough for me. I definitely don't want to be opening an overhead locker and see a face staring at me, so let's get to the decoding. There were two parts of this story, the super frustrating crash part and the spooky ghost part. One of them was 100% true. Guess which one? Yes, of course, seeing Don Repo's ghostly visage in an open door was stone cold fact, and I just made up the other gubbins about a light bulb and an autopilot tipsy. Just kidding. Unfortunately, the plane crash part was horribly true, but it did lead to some better safety practices within aviation, such as better processes within the cockpit when problem solving mandatory safety harnesses for crew jump seats and making flashlights part of the standard crew safety equipment, as these were not fitted to life jackets at the time. And when 401 landed in the dark in a middle of the Evergrade swamp, some extra lights to locate people might have saved more lives. This is what I love about aviation. It's like, if something goes wrong, they're not like, okay. Like, medicine is terrible for this. Like, something goes wrong, don't talk about it. Don't mention it. Like, this is this, um, the bloody book, Matthew Side's book. And it's like, medicine, they're just like, yeah, just don't talk about it. If we make a mistake, just like, don't talk about it. In aviation, they're like, talk about it and make sure we fix it. And that's why aviation is safe and why you'd like why um, medical accidents and whatnot kill an extraordinary number of people every year like unforced medical errors it's just like holy shit medicine what are you up to i think like isn't hospital deaths like unforced hospital deaths like one of the major causes of death these days which is insane we should fix that anyway back to all the hauntings i guess it may kind of make sense that parts from the crash plane were fitted into others and they'd hold the spiritual energy from the disaster and that's why sightings of reaper and loft were on the planes with parts of flight 401 i say i guess it kind of makes sense but it doesn't really 
does it? I mean, I suppose it could be a reason why the ghosts were seen on certain planes and not on others, but when you actually look into it, it makes no sense at all because none of the crashed plane parts were reused in other planes. So, we'll put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, that's that's the. It's like, okay. I get the feeling this is something that that George dude or whoever was mentioned in his book and then everyone took it as fact even though it's like no they don't do that that's insane I felt that it was kind of insane when talking about it because don't they end up in like some big NTSB warehouse somewhere because when a plane crashes and the insurance company's gonna pay for it anyway so you don't need to be like taking an oven out of a plane and fitting it into a new plane <laughs> it's like oh what's that burn mark from why is this a, why is this one smell a bit funny oh well it was in a plane crash it landed in a swamp it's like no one's doing that. That's mental. Fly 401 was largely obliterated with the debt, which is mo. Is it 75 people survived, with the debris spreading out over a large area, and nothing like an oven or something like an elevator was salvageable. And can you imagine the recovery team picking through the nightmare scene and being like, "Oh, we've got an oven that looks good over here. Just a few dents in it. Stick it in the trunk, and we'll reuse it." Imagine the savings. It seems unlikely. Plus, the TriStar was already being rolled out across the airline, so they weren't likely to save an oven from. A crash first jet wide body jet just to put in their new version so that bit of the ghost story is false so let's now dump on all the other bits this can be done in one fell swoop by pointing out that none of these stories were circulating around the airline prior to the publication of fuller's book in 1976 four years after the crash while he stated that all the stories had been told to him personally he had of course either changed people's names or left them vague or anonymous to protect them from retribution from the airline yeah of course you did mate there's no real way to verify any of the claims of ghost sightings in his book, and the airline did actually try to do it. Remember how they were thinking of suing Fuller as publisher, but didn't? It wasn't because they were scared to bring this to the public's attention, it was because they didn't want to give him any more publicity. With the, yeah, perfect, this is such a good response, just don't, just be like, shh, don't talk about it, no one's gonna buy this book, no one cares, it's just one crackpot dude. We'll just quietly deny it. Don't need to sue him. With a spin-off film coming out too, the spooky stories were really just starting to piss the management off. His claims that they bullied and harassed staff to keep quiet about their supernatural encounters were also the main reason the airline considered legal action. In another book about Eastern Airlines that was published in 1980 called From the Captain to the Colonel by Robert Serling, an Eastern Airlines employee said, We spent weeks trying to locate anyone who claimed to have seen a ghost and couldn't find one person. So could Fuller's claims in the book have been <gasps> made up? What? No, who could have ever predicted this? Who would have known? It seems so. Fuller published quite a few other books, including The Interrupted Journey, Two Lost As, Board a Flying Saucer, An Incident at Exeter, Unidentified Flying Objects Over America Now, and The Object of 29 Megacycles, A New Breakthrough in Life After Death. So, this sort of tale seems right up his alley. Again, this, this is often something we bring up on this channel. It's like, yo, if you've got a shit fiction book, just call it a non-fiction book, throw in some things that could vaguely be true, and boom, it's gonna sell to the wacko conspiracy crowd. That's what you should do, or to people who like Dan Brown novels, like me. <laughs> in researching this story, I found plenty of people asking how you could possibly poo-poo all of the examples given, as they seemed to believe they were all from actual witnesses, but here goes, poo-poo, Fuller just made it all up. Sorry about that, folks. Yes, when you rely on one source, it's like, how can you discount all of the sources? Because they were all made up by one bloody guy, weren't they? Bloody Fuller.
There doesn't seem to be much connecting his book to any sort of real event that happened in the aftermath of the plane crash. No other document to prove the ghost sightings appears before his book came out, and attempts by the airline to investigate the stories came to nothing. No parts of Flight 401 were reused, and even if they were, they were not then subsequently removed from planes to exercise repo and loft. And why would you want to anyway? They weren't malevolent ghosts. They were just described as being helpful in pointing out problems with the plane or just shooting the breeze with other people who would really complain about that. The only tenuous connection that exists is the related flight to the Mexico City where the engines burned out. That part was true, but the flight attendant, after seeing Don Repo's face in an oven, was not. The pilot of that plane is documented in a journal of the Flight Safety Foundation a few weeks after his experience. When asked about how it was to land the TriStar with only one engine, he said, Scary. For a minute I thought Repo's ghost was on the plane. This is literally the only reference to a ghost on a plane before Fuller's book was published, and it's not like he's admitting to seeing the ghost of the dead flight engineer. He was thrown back to the still recent crash in a light-hearted manner, as he was also recorded as having said it with a laugh. So maybe not the most tactful of comments, but not really concrete evidence for Don Repo to be haunting other tri-stars. Seems to have been enough for Fuller, though. Yeah, honestly, what did he write? Like the 42 megacycles traveling aboard alien spacecrafts? It seems that uh, very little was enough for Fuller. Not the uh, pinnacle of journalistic integrity. There, Fuller, are you, mate? Allegedly. Final thoughts. Thankfully, the haunted Lockheed Tri-Stars seem to be nothing more than an urban legend started by a writer with a supernatural leaning and perpetrated by a popular TV movie. The crash of Flight 401 should never have happened, but at least there were a significant number of survivors and changes put in place to stop situations like this, where all the crew were distracted at the same time. I'll leave the last word to Colonel Frank Borman, who was the CEO of Eastern Airlines at the time of the crash. He was also a former Apollo astronaut, which is pretty cool. Wow. That's pretty sick. That's a career. Is that what you military, then astronaut, then CEO of a major airline? Respect, mate. Anyway, when asked about the whole situation regarding what was in Fuller's book, Borman said, The one accurate quote in the book was made by Jim Ashlock when he called the whole story a bunch of crap. So there you go. I think we can safely assume there's enough to worry about when flying through the air without having the ghosts of a dead cockpit crew jump-scaring us from the luggage rack. Indeed, and this was an episode of Decoding the Unknown. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a review. And if you're watching it on YouTube, yes! This also goes out in a video format. Please like, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.